Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations.
Oops, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, had it on mute, and I was totally did not understand that I wasn't on. I apologize for that, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is May 8, 2010. And, uh, again, I apologize. I totally did not realize I was not on the air. But anyway, I'm on the air now. And uh, welcome to those on the East Coast, the Central Region of the United States. Also, those on the West Coast, I know it's late afternoon, uh, late morning rather, and late morning to you. Um, as I was stating earlier, uh, things are really heating up in the world right now. And right before I get to this Bible study about the Festival of Tabernacles, um, I'm going to, which is the cult, I'm going to talk about what we need to be looking at now in terms of prophecy. And I will be talking about prophecy in detail over the next few weeks uh, because I need to. And uh, I God has given me uh, some understanding about the prophetic scriptures and it's my job to, to tell those who have ears to hear and eyes to see what's going on and what you need to do to prepare for these uh, very, very wicked and trying times that, that are upon us now. But anyway, Greece. What's going on in Greece right now is going to happen to this country unless we repent, which I don't see us doing at all collectively. But what's going on in Greece, let me explain and simplify it for you so that you understand. What's going on in Greece is the government has gone bankrupt. They've gone bankrupt because of this financial crisis that began in, in 2008. All right, and what the government has done right now in Greece, they've raised taxes on these poor people. And also they have gone into their pensions and taken at least 50% of their pensions. And that, is, of course, has caused them to riot. And this has gone worldwide. It's going to happen in Spain. It's going to happen to other countries in Europe. It's going to happen to the U.K. Matter of fact, the U.K. is in a worse situation than Greece right now financially. And this is going to, of course, be a domino effect that's going to affect the whole world, and it's going to come to the United States, whether you believe that or not. The United States is the world's largest debtor nation. We owe approximately $74 trillion, that's with a T, $74 trillion. There's no way any nation on the earth throughout history can exist with that type of debt load, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. They cannot exist. And we are in a situation now where we're going to have to individually and collectively repent before God if we don't want any of these things to happen. And number two, we're going to have to start uh, not buying things that we cannot afford and start saving our monies, get them out of the banks, start <clears throat> saving monies to buy food and emergency uh, shelter. And... Again, Christ in, in Matthew chapter, or let's go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning... In verse 22, and he said unto the disciples, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. 
and they shall say to you, See here, see there, and go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage into the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted and built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So this is talking about his second coming. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Verse 34, I tell you, let me repeat that one. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. So if uh, your whole focus is just on me, myself, and save my behind, then you know, you're going to have a tough time. That's what he's telling you. Verse 35, two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, the other left. He's talking about people being killed. And then verse 37, And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said, Wherever the body is, that's where the eagles be gathered together. And if you look in Revelation chapter 19, it's talking about eagles eating bodies. So this is in the context of people dying, not people taken up to be raptured. So anyway, um, I wanted to read that to you there so you can get a, a picture of what's about to occur here. I, I can't predict years like other people are doing and sucking people of their money. But I'm just telling you basically what the Bible is, is telling you what's going to occur here in the future. And one of the reasons why God is going to come back is because the hireling of the, the oppressed, well, what's going on is that the wages of the people are being oppressed. And the governments, not only in the United States, but in other countries around the world, are trying to do all they can to get as much money out of the people to pay their debt. So in Malachi 4, verse 1, For behold, a day cometh that shall... No, Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That's talking about the future, Elijah, but it's also talking about Yochanan, the immerser. He did that. He prepared the way for his first coming. But this is also talking about his second coming. And the Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appear? For the, he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And he did that in the first century, but he's going to do that again, of course, in the 21st century. Verse 4, Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And this is the scripture I wanted to come to. And I will come near to you to judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages. And that's what's going on as I'm speaking worldwide. And that's one of the reasons why he's going to come back, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, turn 
and the wages, the widow and the father, and that turn aside the stranger from his right, and fear not me, says the Lord of hosts. And you fear God by doing what's right. You don't fear God when you do things that are wrong, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what's going on worldwide. And I don't know if I, I quoted the scripture when I accidentally had it on mute, but this is the generation that we are in right now. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, starting in verse 8, it states this. It states, see, verse uh, 14. Proverbs 30, verse 14, states that there is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And that is where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. We're also here in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, verse 7. He said, he said, he said Master, but when shall these things be? And what shall... What sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? Verse 8. And that's the question of the hour right now. Take heed that be, you, you be not deceived or tricked, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and the time draw near, go ye not therefore after them. Go ye therefore not after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified. Many people forget what he's telling you here. When you hear these things, don't be troubled or don't be terrified. And people are terrified. And he's telling you not to be. For these things must first come to pass, but the end, the end of this civilization, the end of man trying to rule himself, is not by and by. Verse 10. Then said he to, unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, which should be translated based on the Greek, family shall rise against family, and kingdom against kingdom. Verse 11. And great earthquakes, and we've had great earthquakes since January of this year. January or February of this year, and various places, and famines. And that's where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen. We're in the famine stage. Famine is related to jobs. Jobs is related to famine. If you don't have a job, how can you feed yourself? How can you feed your family? And that's what's going on right now. Millions of people, as I'm speaking right now, throughout the world are losing their jobs. They're having the government overtax them. They are getting their pensions which started in Greece, and it's going to escalate as a domino effect. Uh, they're getting uh, monies taken out of their pensions, and that's what's going to cause people to go nuts, those who um, aren't close to God like they should be. So we're at a very crisis. Let me read one more scripture here, and then I'm going to get into this each and every week. I'm going to get into more uh, material about what's going on here. And in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when he had opened the third seal, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hands. So this is symbolic, of course, of economy, scale. All right, and and in verse six, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, "A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine." Now, I have in my commentary here in the King James Study Bible it says the third seal represents inflation and famine, and that's where we're at right now, ladies and gentlemen. The balances or scales are related to commerce and trade. The word penny, better transliterated. 
denarius represented about one day's wages. Wheat and barley were considered necessities of life. So God is telling us that the necessities of life are going to be taken away. A measure was about one quart. The price given is about ten times what was normal. The command, hurt not to owe no wine, may indicate a restriction of the effects of the famine in its early part of the tribulation. So this is economic instability. We are living in the time of economic instability right now. And what God said in Isaiah chapter 3 is occurring as I'm speaking. Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For behold, the Lord, the, the Lord of hosts doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah. Now, the United States is, is attached to Jerusalem and Jews. They have been since 1945, at, actually 1948, when they, through the United Nations, which is located in the United States, declared Israel a nation in one day, a fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah chapter 66. But anyway, anyway, from Jerusalem and from Judah, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. So right there, God is going to take away our necessities to get our attention, and that's what he's doing as I'm speaking. It has begun, ladies and gentlemen. It has begun. You need to wake up. You need to get close to God. And it's only going to get worse, ladies and gentlemen, unless a miracle happens in Jeremiah chapter 18. This is the kind of miracle that has to happen for any one of the, the nations that, that, that will be suffering, that is suffering right now, to have God uh, prevent the punishments from occurring. Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7, he states, At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, this is any nation, and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. So that's a promise, ladies and gentlemen, that God, it doesn't make a difference who you are, and the book of Jonah was written, to explain to you that God doesn't just love the Jews. He loves everybody, and whoever, whoever repents, whoever has a desire to want to keep his law, he will stop these prophecies, these specific prophecies, from occurring to that nation. So I'm going to repeat this scripture each and every week, and I hope world leaders are listening to this. I hope uh, other people that have access to world leaders uh, will point these scriptures out to them so they could help alleviate their country of destruction, of economic destruction right now. So, and another thing, let me, uh, I'll be right back. I wanted to explain something to you because you may not understand this. I'll be right back. I know the average person may not understand the stock market game, all right? And I'm going to explain it to you as simple as, simple as I can because you need to understand because I know CNN and other media outlets which are controlled by the Council of Foreign Relations and the, and the other elite of the world are not going to tell you what's going on here. Now, you have the Federal Reserve Bank. The Federal Reserve Bank is not a a... a government bank. It's a private bank. Most people don't know that. It was formed back in 1913. And the reason why 
we're going to have inflation is because the money supply, the money supply is being increased. What we're doing is printing up dummy money. We're printing money that that we don't have the, the currency to back up, uh, silver and gold to back up. Now, also, the Constitution of the United States states that only Congress shall coin and regulate money, not the Federal Reserve, which is a private bank. So already they're violating the Constitution of the United States, the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, the Federal Reserve Bank issues money or checks. Now, as the money supply is being increased, then that increases inflation. Lowering interest rates will devour or devalue, rather, the dollar. So when they lower interest rates, the value of the dollar goes down. That's the reason why, until recently, the euro was gaining, outgaining the dollar. All right? Now, super-rich bankers control this world, ladies and gentlemen. The rich rule over the poor. That's a basic script that's found in Proverbs. And that has been throughout history. Now, the Federal Reserve Bank is attached to the U.S. Treasury Department, which prints bills or notes. Notes are IOU. That's what they are. That that dollar that you look at, that's a that's a piece of paper that says you owe the government or we, we owe the government. Okay? So it's not gold or silver. Now, what the Federal Reserve Bank does is loan money at interest to the U.S. federal government. Now, how does the U.S. federal government pay for these loans? Well, this is when we come in. What the U.S. federal government does is levy or collects income taxes to pay the interest on the debt. And so they go out after the American people. And the American people have been taxed to death, literally, since 1913. And so the, the American people, they give back the taxes to the United States federal government, and then the United States federal government, they pay the Federal Reserve Bank. All that money goes to pay uh, on the interest, and of course, who gets the um, the money? Well, the people who own the Federal Reserve Bank, which is, which are these super rich bankers. And this is the simplest way that I can understand, that I can explain rather this situation to you. And I took material and I broke it down, and and that's that's the way to understand it. So think this way: the more they print this money, uh, the more prices will go up. We're going to have inflation, and when we have inflation, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to cause uh, a lot of problems because when you have inflation, it increases prices. And when you increase prices, it's going to make it much more difficult for people to make a living, much more difficult for people to be able to get what they need. And that's what's going on. People are losing their jobs because prices are so high now to buy things to sustain a business, and the businesses can't afford to, to, to keep the employees. So uh, the profit that's being made on the stock market, one of the significant ways it's being made now is because companies are firing their employees. So when you when you fire an employee, I, I think the average employee probably is worth, uh, as far as the cost for an employee, uh, is probably between $50,000 $100,000 every year. So when you eliminate that cost, of course, eventually your profits are going to uh, increase because you, you have decreased or, uh, yeah, you have decreased or lowered your expenses. So that's that's what's going on. I, I, it's a lot more than that, but I just wanted to simplify it to help you understand that the more the government is printing money that's not backed up by any silver or gold, the more uh, that prices will increase because of inflation. 
And then when you lower the interest rates, which the government has done, that devalues the dollar. So that that's what's going on right now. And then, uh, again, the Federal Reserve Bank, they, they loan out money to the government to pay their debts, and the United States government levies income taxes or collects income taxes to pay interest on the debt from the American people. And the American people send the taxes back to the U.S. federal government. The U.S. federal government gives those taxes back to the Federal Reserve Bank. And, of course, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that's the true situation of what's going on here in this country, ladies and gentlemen. Matter of fact, there's a prophecy in James chapter 5 that explains this. It happened back then, it's happening today. In James chapter 5. James chapter 5. It states... Verse 1, go to now, you rich man, weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure today for the last days, which is the days before the coming of the Messiah, which we're living in today. Verse 4, behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped the are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabaoth, which is the armies. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, which can also refer to abortions. And he does not resist you. Verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth and of long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draws near. So the coming of the Lord draws near when you see all these things occurring with the with the global economy right now. Verse 9, Grudge not one against another, brethren, that night you be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. He's standing before the door. Okay, so um, I will definitely talk more about these things, but one movie that I suggest you look at that is absolutely free online for you to look at uh, it's called Invisible Empire. If you Google that, Invisible Empire, you should be able to access that movie. Please take a good look at that movie. That will explain who the New World Order is, what they're going to do, what you must do to protect yourself from the New World Order. Okay, um, let's talk about now what the Festival of Trumpets is. Now, as I was explaining in other programs, Leviticus chapter 23 is is an outline of God's holy days. And notice that there's a significant amount of time between Shavuot and Yom Teruah. And the holy days of Elohim ultimately picture the salvation work of the Messiah. The Passover, the first and seven days of unleavened bread, and Shavuot have already been fulfilled. There is a significant amount of time between the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of the Messiah. Yom Teruah... Yom Kippurim, Sukkot, Shemini, Atzeret will be fulfilled by Messiah in the future. Isaiah chapter 11, which we hopefully will go over today, and the book of Revelation pictures the fulfillment of these fall holy days of Elohim. This is the sequence. Let's go over it again. Passover, the Messiah's death. It represents the Messiah's death and mankind's deliverance through him. The door of immortality is open again to all of mankind. Yom Habikarim, Yom Habikarim, the day of the way sheaf offering or first fruits. Yeshua is the first to rise from the dead. So, Shavuot, 
represents the Holy Spirit being poured out on, on the Messiah's followers so that the Torah can be obeyed. This will be fulfilled in a mighty way when the Messiah comes again in Joel chapter 2, verses 20 to 32. Now, you also have a gap of almost 2,000 years here. And then you come to Yom Teruah, which is the Messiah's return with a blast of the Shofar. Yom Kippur, which pictures the national atonement coming to the entire tribes of Israel, which are 12, which includes the tribes of Judah and Levi, the Jews, as all the tribes recognize the Messiah and repent. Currently, most Jews don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, and Christians, which is talked about in the Bible as being Ephraim, and the ten lost tribes of Israel believe in a counterfeit Yeshua that destroyed the Torah and removed it by dying on the cross. Both Jews and Christians will realize who the Messiah is one day in the future. This is what Yom Kippur ultimately pictures. It also pictures him literally, spiritually and literally, taking sin from the world, like John 1, verse 29 states. Now, also Ephraim and the ten lost ten tribes of Israel, United States and Britain and the countries of northwestern Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and Canada, they all are part of the tribes of Israel. And to prove that, what you need to do is go to www.britam.org, britam.org, and Yara Davidi, who is a Jew who lives in the, in the old city of Jerusalem, he has done extensive research to prove that the ten lost tribes of Israel consist of what I just mentioned to you geographically. Of course, they also consist of people who desire to obey the Torah and to follow Yeshua Messiah as the Messiah. Now, we're going to talk about Sukkot, which is all of mankind worshiping the Lord from Jerusalem. And it also pictures a peaceful world, a peaceful world with Yeshua and the saints ruling the earth. Shemini Atzeret pictures a new heaven and new earth after the millennium, after the saints have ruled the earth, and it really pictures the elimination and destruction of sin. And death is destroyed and there will be no more sin. So I'm going to talk about that next week, but let's focus on the Feast of Tabernacles in the, in the remaining time that I have here. And uh, so let's focus on the Feast or the Festival of Tabernacles, which is Sukkot. Now, I'm going to quote from a book called The Feast of the Lord from Kevin Howard and Marvin Rosenthal, page 135. It says, The seventh and final feast given to Israel by the Lord is known as Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the most joyful and festive of all Israel's feasts. It is also the most prominent feast mentioned more often in Scripture than any of the other feasts. This feast also served as a historical backdrop for the important teaching of the Messiah in John, chapters uh, 7 to 9. You can look these scriptures up in your spare time. The meaning of Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles is known by at least two names in scripture. The most often it is referred to as Sukkot or Tabernacles. The English word tabernacle is from the Latin tabernaculum, meaning booth or hut. It acquired this name from the biblical requirement for all Israelites to dwell in tabernacles or temporary, or temporary shelters during the holiday. It was to be an annual reminder of God's provision during the 40-year wilderness sojourn when Israel had lived in similar shelters. And this, again, is telling you that God is going to protect you. This final feast of the year is also known in Scripture as the Feast of Ingathering which is found in Exodus 23, verse 16, and Exodus uh, 34, verse 22. For it was observed after all crops had been harvested and gathered. The feast was celebrated with great joy. 
The joy was twofold, for it commemorated God's past goodness and provision during their wilderness sojourn, and it commemorated God's present goodness and provision with the completion of the harvest. The time of Sukkot, this is on page 136, the tabernacles falls in the autumn of the year. On the Hebrew calendar, it occurs on the 15th day of Tishri, the seventh month, usually late September to mid-October, only five days after the solemn day of atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles lasts for seven days. The, feast, the first day and the day after Tabernacles, the eighth day, known as Shemini Aseret, are considered sacred assemblies or Sabbaths. Found in Leviticus 23, verse 36 to 39. As such, no work of any kind is permitted on these days. Subheading, the record of Sukkot. Three portions of Scripture outline the biblical observers in the festival of tabernacles. The people were to live in booths and rejoice before the Lord with branches. Leviticus 23, verses 33 to 43. There was to be many daily sacrificial offerings. Numbers 29, verses 12 to 39. In a sabbatical year, the law was to be publicly read during tabernacles, which is Deuteronomy 31, verse 10 to 13. Subheading, the importance of Sukkot. Because of the joy associated with the festival of tabernacles, it became the most prominent of Israel's holidays. It was referred to simply as the holiday by the ancient rabbis. The importance of the festival of tabernacles is also seen in its inclusion as one of the three pilgrim feasts. Three times during the year, all Jewish males were required to appear before the Lord in the temple, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. This is found in Exodus 23, verse 17. Exodus 34, verses 22 to 23, Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. These were known as the pilgrim feasts because of the required pilgrimage to Jerusalem. During the Feast of Tabernacles, the people brought their tithes and offerings to the temple, for they were not to appear before the Lord empty-handed. It's found in Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. Furthermore, importance is seen in the great number of required sacrifice during the feast week. Each day, one goat, 14 lambs, two rams, and a number of bullocks, 13 on the first day, decreasing by one each day, were offered in the temple. Each of the sacrifices were offered with its appropriate meal offerings, flour and oil, and drink offerings, wine. All 24 divisions of priests shared in the sacrificial duties during the week. In the days of the temple, the Feast of Tabernacles was viewed with great awe, for it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that Solomon dedicated the newly built temple to the Lord. Let me repeat that. In the days of the temple, the Feast of Tabernacles was viewed with great awe, for it was during the Feast of Tabernacles that Solomon dedicated the newly built temple to the Lord. And at that, at that ancient observance of Tabernacles, Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 3, the, the Shekinah glory of the Lord descended from heaven to light the fire on the altar and fill the Holy of Holies, which is found in 1 Kings chapter 8 and Second Chronicles 7, verses 1 to 10. Subheading, the prayer of Sukkot. The Feast of Tabernacles occurs at Israel's change of seasons and marks the beginning of the winter rainy season. One may be surprised to learn that Jerusalem receives as much precipitation each year as London, England, 20 inches. The major difference is that Jerusalem's rainfall occurs between November and March. These refreshing rains bring necessary moisture for working the soil and the sprouting of new crops. If for some reason the weather patterns are such that several weeks of rainfall are missed, a dire water shortage can quickly de develop for the coming year's crops. Because the Feast of Tabernacles is observed at this important juncture when the anticipation of rain is at its highest, the two have become inseparably connected. Even today, the prayers for rain remain an important part of Tabernacles' observance. The service of Sukkot, subheading, In the days of the temple, Jewish pilgrims flocked to Jerusalem, this is on page 137, 
They flocked to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. They came from every village within the nation and from many foreign countries, most often in large caravans for protection. It was a joyous trip with much singing and laughing along the way. Upon arrival in Jerusalem, the pilgrims focused their energies upon building booths for the feast. By the afternoon of Tishri 14, thousands upon thousands of leafy booths lined the streets and dotted the surrounding fields and hills. All were carefully located within a uh, Sabbath day's journey, a little more than half a mile of the temple. At sundown, the blast of the shofar, ram's horn, from the temple announced the arrival of the holiday. A sense of increased excitement fell over the city as darkness came. Myriads of twinkling campfires strutted the surrounding countryside like an intricate lace work of tiny amber jewels. Well into the night, muffled laughter and cheery conversations could be heard drifting over the night breezes, unless analyzed specifically why the people felt so joyful. Why was this a day of joy? Well, you're going to find out here in a minute what the Bible reveals about it. In Leviticus chapter 23, let's turn there. And the festival of tabernacles of the Day of Atonement is linked, and I'm going to show you that here For as far as uh, prophetic events are, are concerned. Leviticus chapter 23. Well, actually, the festival of trumpets and Yom Kippur are related. All these really are related because they're fall festivals. Verse 27, also on the tenth day of the seventh month shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy assembly unto you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So even when you're starving, he wants you to, to make an offering, which is pretty interesting here. And you shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul is in that day shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among the people. Affliction meaning food and water. Verse 30, And whosoever so it be that do of any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among the people. Okay, and you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute or a law forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. So wherever you're at, you should keep this. Verse 32, It shall be unto you a Shabbat of rest, and you shall afflict your souls in the ninth day of the month at evening, from even unto even you shall celebrate your Shabbat. Verse 33, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the festival of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy assembly or convocation. You shall do no servile or ordinary work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day, which we're going to talk about in detail next week, shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no servile work therein. Okay? So, and he says, These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a meat offering, a sacrifice, and a drink offering, everything upon his day. Beside the Shabbat to the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your free will offerings which you give unto the Lord. Verse 39, also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. Let's talk about the festival of tabernacles again. On the first day shall be a Shabbat, 
and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And you shall take to you on the first day the boughs of the goodly trees, which is uh, the fruit of the goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of the fruits of thick trees, and willows of brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in a year. It shall be a statue of law forever in your generation. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths. Seven days all that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the festivals of, of the Lord. Now, notice that it says all that are Israelites. Well, I explained to you who Israelites are. We're, we are a part of the Israelites. But in the future, Gentiles also will be celebrating the festival of tabernacles. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31, verses 10. This is one of the things that you should, should do on the Festival of Tabernacles. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release in the Festival of Tabernacles, when all Israel's come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, and children, at the end of every seven years, let me explain that. Every seven years, there should be a Sabbath year of rest where we don't do ordinary work during the entire year. But anyway, and then you let the land rest so there's no farming or agriculture during that year. When you, all Israel's come to appear before the Lord thy God, and this happens every seven years during the Feast of Tabernacles, the place which ye shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. And they and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over Jordan to possess it. So that's one of the features every seven years of the Festival of Tabernacles. Now I want you to notice something in Zechariah chapter 14. How much time I have left here? Uh, 15 minutes, Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the host of ta uh, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the festival of tabernacles. So, it's telling that, you know, this is, again, the many scriptures in the Bible indicate that the law is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone, all the Israelites, all the rest of the tribes of Israel, and all Gentiles, all the nations, which came up against Jerusalem, and to keep them. So they'll be keeping the festival of tabernacles. Verse 17, and it, shall, and it shall be that whosoever will not come of all the families of the earth, so that's the entire world, unto Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even unto them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt, which is symbolic of the world, Go not up and come not that have no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherein the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So all nations, you have biblical proof that all nations will be keeping 
this day, which every seven years the Torah is going to be recited, not only to the Jews, but to all the rest of the tribes of Israel and also to Gentiles and the rest of the nations. The law of God is for everybody, not just for the Jews and not for Israelites only. Isaiah chapter uh, 66. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 to 24. It says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make, which we're going to talk about next week, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. Verse 23, And it shall come to pass that from one one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me. All flesh means all flesh, all of mankind. So they're going to be observing the new moons, which they're going to be keeping the the, the biblical calendar and, and the holy days, and they're also going to be keeping the Shabbat. All mankind. Verse 24. And this is what's going to happen to those who don't want to do it. And they shall go forth and look upon the bodies of the men, the carcasses that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall all be an abhorring unto all flesh. This is going to occur during the millennia. Let's go over the scripture that I went over last week, John 1, verse 29. This tells you the work of the Messiah in, in a couple of sentences here. John 1, verse 29. The next day, Yochanan, or John, see if Yeshua, or Jesus, coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, I just recently realized that I used to look at this scripture and just, okay, spiritually he's taking my sins away, but he's going to be taking sin from the world literally too, as I'm getting ready to show you here. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. This is what this day pictures, tabernacles. This pictures the time when Yeshua takes over the earth and starts to rule the earth literally and eliminates sin from his sight. That's what he's going to do. He's going to take away the sin from the world literally too, as well as spiritually. Revelation chapter 19 is a description of how he's going to do it. Uh, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. After those things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven, which is be the saints, saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and, and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged a great whore, which to corrupt the earth with her fornication, and have avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And they and again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the 24, now notice it says the smoke rose forever and ever, not the people's rising up forever and ever. Anyway, and the 24 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And the voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his serpents, ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and the voice of many waters, and the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, omnipotent reign. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife, which is the assembly of the church, had made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed and finally remember the congregation of Israel didn't begin in New Testament times, it began in Old Testament times. The word ecclesia that is translated church in the New Testament, the same word in the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was translated in 250 B.C., that same word is used for the word uh, congregation. And the Septuagint, Ecclesia. So it means the same thing. But anyway, Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he says unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And so there's going to be uh, somewhat of a, uh, a, a marriage 
in the throne room of God in heaven before the following happens, before Yeshua, the angels, and the saints come back down to earth to, to take it over. Verse 10, And I fell at his feet to worship, and he said unto me, See thou, do not do it. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Psalm, um, what psalm is that? Psalm, I think it's 118. No, Psalm 1, let me see, one of the last psalms here. Psalm 149 reveals that we are going to be a part of the, the armies and we're going to be executing vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people. In Psalm 149, read that. But anyway, uh, it said in verse 14, The armies which are in heaven follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15, Out of, out of his mouth go of a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he threatened the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, The King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come and gather yourselves together into the supper of the great God. Seven minutes left. The supper of the great God. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrote miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped the image. Both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So they had a dinner. And Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 37. He says, He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, the good seed are the, are the, the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Verse 39, The enemy that soweth them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burnt in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all sin, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. He takes away the sins of the world. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun. We're going to shine as the sun. As Daniel chapter 12 reveals, we're going to have shining, immortal, spiritual bodies. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who have an ear to hear. Let him hear that. Okay. And in verse uh, 47, it says, Again, the kingdom of, of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which then which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And 
And then, uh, well, I'll read that some other time about the understanding you must uh, use the scriptures, all the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 112. Psalm 112 gives you an interpretation of what this gnashing and, and, and weeping of teeth is all about. Psalm 112, verse 10 states this. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. And in verse 9, it's talking about, He hath dispersed, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endure forever. His horn shall be exalted with horror. Verse 10, the, with honor, rather. The wicked shall see all this. He shall see the righteous and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. So when you see gnashing in teeth, what that means is that the, that's talking about, that's a Jewish idiom, obviously, for being eliminated, wiped out, gnashing of teeth. Uh, is meaning that they're going to be melted away, destroyed. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about next week, but I wanted to point out something. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new jewels, and coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them. So this is what the festival of tabernacles, well, actually not the festival of tabernacles, but the, the eighth day, the, the Shemini Atzeret, I'm going to explain next week, that's what that represents. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, no more death, which means no more sin, neither sorrow, no crying, neither there shall be there shall be no more pain, and for the former things will pass away. Everything will be passed away, all the former things. So there's not going to be any more death, no more sin, and then and and, and no more suffering. So when people preach to you and say the wicked are going to be alive forever and ever and ever, that can't be true based upon what uh God the Father is saying here, that there will not be any more pain and no more death. So there cannot be people still alive, wicked, suffering pain at this particular period of time. They are all destroyed, as uh, Revelation chapter 20 reveals here in verse 14. It says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So death, and everything that represents death, is ultimately destroyed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it states that death will be destroyed. Which Corinthians chapter 15. So in verse 54 it states, so when this corruptible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 54, so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. All right, so death will be ultimately eliminated, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, that's one of the reasons why Yeshua came is to destroy uh, the devil and to destroy death, and that's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to do. And I wanted to go over some other scriptures uh, in reference to the millennium, Isaiah chapter 11 and then Isaiah 16, verse 18 to 25. Is that 16 or 60? Yeah, Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verses 18 to 25. I'm, I'll, we'll go over those scriptures next week uh, in reference to 
uh, Sukkot, and then I'm going to lead into talking about the, the great last day or the eighth day of, of um, God's holy days during the, the Festival of Tabernacles. So this day, Sukkot, pictures worldwide peace, everyone being at peace. It pictures the scripture in Isaiah chapter 2 that they're going to beat their, their plows. What does it say? Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. It pitches, uh, he shall judge among a nation, and they shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's what the millennium pitches, a peaceful world where everyone's getting along. I'll speak to you next week. May God bless and keep you, and may you have a good work week. That starts Sunday. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.